Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. They're listening to this and they hear him say, he's going to ask the woman for just a little sip of water out of her pitcher. You know, as a woman, is hard working, as a lot of chutzpah, this man comes along and says, give me a drink, a little sip of water out of that pitcher on your shoulder. And so they're thinking, boy, this man comes up to Rebecca and he points to the pitcher on her shoulder and says, I want a, just a little sip, if you don't mind, please. You know, and so, and the test was not only that the woman would not be offended at having to take the heavy pitcher off her shoulder to give him a sip, but that she'd go further and she'd offer to water all his camels. Now, giving water to all his camels was really something. And they're thinking about this. I mean, and they're thinking, boy, did she really do that? No wonder she was coming home so late. because we don't know how many camels were in Eliezer's group of men there. It was more than one, because it says camels, probably up to 10. So let's just say there were four camels, you know, we don't know. Now, her pitcher probably held about five gallons, and that was pretty heavy, you know, an arrowhead water bottle, five gallons, weighs 40 pounds. And her pitcher was probably not made out of arrowhead lightweight plastic, you know. It probably weighed at least another five pounds. So we're talking about 45 pounds here in a pitcher full. Now, a thirsty camel, we're told, of course, you all know this because of the camels in your backyard, but (laughs) thirsty camel can drink about 50 gallons in three minutes. They can suck water. They're good at that. So when Rebecca gave water to his camels, what did that exactly mean? That meant that Rebecca had to lower the bucket into the well down there, crank up, let's say it held five gallons, crank up 40 pounds of water, pour it into her pitcher, carry this 45-pound pitcher over to the camel trough, empty it in the camel trough. I don't know how long that takes, you know, five minutes if you're really, you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, Rebecca Serena Williams or something like that. And she would have had to have done that 10 times for each camel. That's 10 trips for a camel. So if there's four camels, that's like 40 trips there. And it's carrying the equivalent of one ton. You know, that's a lot, right, Richard? Even you can't carry one ton. <laughs> and so it would have taken four hours. So for four hours, Eliezer is watching this amazing sight of this woman. And it says she's haste, 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 who's running to do this back and forth 40 times, the 45 pounds and the water, the well, uh, and the cranking and the pouring and the lifting and the carrying and the dumping and the back and forth and back time. No wonder the proposal was so outrageous. If there was a woman who volunteered like that, no doubt she's the one the Lord's appointed to be the wife of, of Isaac because that's not normal. And he says in verse 45, as the family's listening to this outrageous proposal that he's made to God when they hear him say in verse 45, before I'd even done speaking in my heart, 
Behold, Rebecca comes with her pitcher on her shoulder. She went down to the well. She drew water. I said to her, let me drink, I pray, etc. And so he tells them all this is going on in his heart. So when he tells them he's speaking in his heart, he's telling them, there's no way that Rebecca heard me. I was not speaking out loud. I was speaking in my heart. He hadn't even finished his prayer to God when Rebecca appears and the whirlwind starts. She appears so quickly that, you know, he was supposed to say, uh, remember that he kept saying, I was going to ask her for a little sip, a little drink, a little drink. Well, it says here that he didn't even get the word little out. He just says, you know, let me drink because all of a sudden she's there. I pray thee. And then Rebecca, the whirlwind, she kicks into gear and, and he's just stunned. And so then it says in verse 47, we see that he asked her whose daughter she was and then put the earring on her face. And the reason they said earring on her face because it doesn't say earring, it's a nose ring. It made her very attractive with the nose ring. And a bracelet on her hands. Now, what really happened in verses 22 through 23, as we saw, is that it didn't quite happen this way either. He jumped the gun and he put the jewelry on first. Then he asked whose family was us, be changed around. But okay, we give him a little grace for that too. All right, so now verse 48, he tells them that his response when he saw all this is that he bows down, he worships the Lord, he blesses God, and he says, you led me in the right way to take my master brother's daughter unto his son. So we see Eliezer tells them that he's worshiped God and he's bold. He's bold to tell them that it's God that led him in the right way to take Rebekah to Isaac. And notice what Eliezer says at the end of verse 48 to describe what happened at the well. He says that the Lord led me in the right way to take my master brother's daughter unto his son. See, when he says, led me in the right way, he's using a word when he says right there, which is the word, the Hebrew word emet, which is the word for true or truth. And so what he's really saying here is that the Lord led him in the true way, in the way of truth, as opposed to the false way. In other words, he was saying that Rebecca was the woman that truly the woman that God had chosen to be a wife for Isaac. So he's using this, by using this word true, Eliezer is saying that it was for sure that Rebecca was God's choice for a wife for Isaac. Now, it becomes very interesting to us to watch Eliezer because now he's sure that Rebecca is God's true choice for the wife for Isaac. So clearly, if this whole matter from this point was all up to Eliezer, he would just take Rebecca for Isaac and say, this is the will of God, and that's it. But it's not totally all up to Eliezer. And Eliezer is not the decision maker in this matter as to whether or not Rebecca comes. And it's important for us to watch Eliezer because what he does answers for us the question, what do you do when you know something is the will of God, but you're not the decision maker? And that's the case of Eliezer here. Very important for us, especially in evangelism, because in evangelism, we know that the will of God is for every person to be saved, because that's what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.4, that God who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So when we give the lost person the gospel, and we know it's God's will for him to be saved, there's no question about it. God's will is for every lost person to be saved. God's will is that not one lost person should perish. According to 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if it's God's will for everyone to be saved, and if it's God's will for no one to perish, then why isn't everyone saved? Why is it that there are some that perish? That's God's will for everyone to be saved, and that no one should perish. Then why isn't everyone saved? Well, how come people perish? 
Because who can resist God's will? And the answer is that God has given to man the ability to resist his will. And when it comes to accepting or rejecting God's salvation offer, God has given man to resist that offer, to resist that invitation, to resist that will. God does not believe in any form of forced marriages. And God does not practice forced marriages when it comes to the bride of Christ. And every person who has become a part of the bride of Christ by receiving Christ as Savior has done it by his own will, by his own choice. He had the ability to say no thank you to God and walk away in unbelief, but he chose to receive Christ. So that's the bride that God is seeking for his son. Those who come to him by their own choice, not because they're forced by some irresistible force from God. So what we're seeing in these verses is a lesson for evangelism for how to conduct ourselves when we know that it's the will of God for a person to be saved. Because Eliezer shows us what to do. First, Eliezer has told them all the reasons that Rebekah is God's choice for a wife for Isaac and There's no uncertainty in what Eliezer has said. Eliezer is not saying to the family, I think she might be the right one. She's a good candidate. She may be the one. She'd make a good wife for Isaac. You know, she really works hard. (laughs) Look at those camels. But Eliezer is saying, she is the one. She is the one that God has chosen for Isaac. So we see Eliezer here, he's boldly confident that Rebecca is God's choice and there's no question about it. This shows to us that when we present the gospel, it must be with the same confidence that this is the will of God for this lost person to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now, notice in the last part of verse 48 how Eliezer makes it very clear what he's asking for. So in the last part of verse 48, what's Eliezer asking for? He said, to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. He said, this is very clear what he's asking for. I, I want to take her. That's very clear. I want to take her. And he says, I want to take my master's brother's daughter. Good, you've got a daughter? Yeah, I want to take that daughter to his son. There's no doubt in anyone's mind what Eliezer was asking the family for. What Eliezer said, it shows us that when we present the gospel, there should be no doubt what we are asking the lost person to do. We're not just asking the lost person to repeat some words. No more are we doing that, no more than a prospective bride is being asked to repeat some marriage vows and then go home and live alone like she did before. Those are marriage vows that from that point on will change the life of the person she vows or she says, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna hold from this day forward every condition of life. I'm gonna love, I'm gonna cherish, I'm gonna treasure, I'm gonna respect, I'm gonna forsake all others, I'm gonna remain faithful from this day forward. And if a bride came to the marriage ceremony and repeated those words and then changed back out of the marriage clothes into her normal clothes to go back to her apartment to live alone again, We'd say, what are you doing? You know, where are you going? And she said, well, I'm going back home. What? I thought all I had to do was just put on the marriage dress and repeat the words. I didn't think I was going to have to change my life over this. <laughs> it sounds funny, right? We'd say, no, those were serious vows, which you promised to change your life. You're going to have, you're going to hold, you're going to love, you're going to cherish. You're never going to forsake your new husband. And if she looked shocked and she said, I don't think so, then we would say, you weren't prepared. You weren't prepared to make these vows. In the same way, if we push a lost person just to repeat words of the sinner's prayer 
and the person goes back to the same light that they had before after appeal. We haven't done our job. They're the sinner's prayers. There are eternal marriage vows to the Lord Jesus Christ. As the hymn puts it, oh, Jesus, I promised to serve thee till the end. Be thou forever near me, my master and my friend. See, the sinner's prayers, they're solemn vows. We're going to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all the heart, with all the soul, with all the mind. We're going to have him. We're going to hold him. We're going to cherish him. We're going to treasure him. We're going to respect him. We're going to put him first place in the heart and serve him forever. That's why Elias's words at the end of verse 48 are so important. I don't want there to be any doubt about this. I'm asking to take my mother's brother's son unto his daughter, unto his son. So when we present the gospel, we need to see ourselves as pastors giving premarital counseling and going over the marriage vows and explaining them very carefully, making sure that each point, each part is understood carefully. There's no doubt. You know, I remember when I attended my friend's Orthodox Hasidic marriage of my friend's daughter, that was an experience, to the rabbi's son in New Jersey. That was really something. Talk about feeling a little out of place. (laughs) It was very interesting. Because during the ceremony, the bride and the groom, they stood under the chuppah canopy there with the rabbi, and they seemed to have this like endless private conversation with the rabbi. It just went on and on. It was a full 30 minutes. And I asked the people next to me, I said, what are they doing up there? (laughs) And I was told, I said, well, the rabbi is going over the vows point by point with them privately. You're here, you're just watching, you don't hear anything. But he's going over them so that there's no doubt in their minds what commitments they are making and the couple is making to each other and before God. And during this 30 minutes, which seemed like endless, Jeffrey, the bride's brother, where he was singing to their side. It seemed like a very long time, nothing was said. That was an important part of the ceremony because that was the eye-to-eye time. That was the eye-to-eye time with the rabbi. That was the eye-to-eye time of, do you clearly understand? Do you clearly understand what you're doing? Do you clearly understand this commitment you're gonna make here? Eliezer's statement at the end of verse 48, it's like that. I don't want to be any doubt. I'm here to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. I'm here to take her away to him. That was Eliezer's eye-to-eye time. Do you clearly understand? Now, we see where Eliezer moves next with what he says to the family in verse 49. He says, if you'll deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me. I'll turn to the right or the left. And so in verse 49, Eliezer uses two words to describe what their response will be. What are those two words in verse 49? He's saying if they agree, they will be dealing blank and blank with Abraham. Kindly and truly. Okay, kindly and truly. Chesed. Is kindly, emet, again, the same word we saw before, is the truth. And if they agreed to let Rebecca go, then the family would be dealing kindly and truly with who? With his master, with Abraham. See, by saying this, Eliezer is saying to them, I'm just the messenger. It's not me. Of course, I'm interested in your response because it determines whether or not I'll be successful in my mission, but the person who's really more interested in me is Abraham. And your response today is really a response to Abraham. So be sure that you're communicating with Abraham through me. I'll carry your response back to Abraham. I'll do that. And if you agree to let me take back Rebekah to become the wife of Isaac, you'll be dealing chesed. You'll be dealing loving kindly with him. You'll be dealing emmet. Not with me, but with Abraham. It's interesting that Eliezer uses these words kindly and truly to describe the response as their opportunity. This is your opportunity, folks. He could say to the family, this is your opportunity here. What he's doing here, really, he's put two parts to his plea. The first part is the kindly or the chesed part of his plea. 
The second part is the truly or the emmet part of his plea. And we need to examine this. First part, he says kindly or chesed, which means very loving, very kind way. So first, Eliezer is saying that Abraham is extending to you uh, through me, Eliezer, the hand of chesed, the hand of kindness, and you have the opportunity to extend it back. Eliezer said that if they agreed to let Rebekah be taken, this would be a reciprocal chesed, a reciprocal kind response back to the loving kindness of Abraham. On the contrary, if they did not agree to let Rebekah be taken as the wife to Isaac, then it would be very offensive to Abraham. It would be the opposite of the kindness. It would be a hateful. It would be cruel. And so he's saying that if they don't agree to let Rebekah be taken as Isaac's wife, then it would be offensive, cruel, and hateful to Abraham. And that's a lesson for us in evangelism because God's offer for a lost person to be saved and become a part of the bride of Christ is very generous on God's part. It's very kind. It's an offer by God the Father. And if a lost person responds positively to the generous and loving offer of God the Father through us to be saved and become a part of the bride of Christ, then the lost person deals kindly with God the Father. He returns the kindness. But if the lost person agrees to be saved and become a part of the bride, he's doing what's described in verse 49, dealing kindly with God. But on the other hand, the lost person refuses to be saved, refuses to become a part of the bride of Christ, then the lost person offends God. And he deals with hatred and cruelty to God. And God has a way of returning that in the judgment. And then the second part of Eliezer's plea is we use the word truly or emmet or truth. And here he's associating their response with going along with God. See, all truth is associated with God. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 14, 6, that I am the truth. And so when Eliezer said that a family would be dealing in truth with Abraham, it was saying that you'll be doing the will of God in agreeing to let Rebekah be taken. See, that's the second part of Eliezer's plea, which was the truth part. Now, it's important for us to see that when we bring the gospel to a lost person, just as Eliezer did, we need to emphasize the gospel's not our idea, but this is God's truth. And the gospel comes from God, and we're simply the messengers bringing the truth as the invitation. We see now that Eliezer finishes his speech, and he's telling them, he's told his critical issue, his urgent matter, his word, his debar. And what a powerful speech this is. Very clear, very powerful. I mean, in verse 34, he says, I'm Abraham's servant. Verse 35, he explains the greatness of Abraham. Verse 36, he explains the miracle of the birth of Abraham's son. Verses 37, 38, he explains the oath he's taken to take a wife. Verse 39, he lays open his fear. Verse 40, he explains how he's going to be successful by the angel. Verse 41, he makes it clear that the decision's in their hands. He's not going to push. In verse 43 through 47, he tells them about his prayer, the miraculous answer to the prayer. Verse 48, he tells them, are you sure that God led him to Rebekah? Verse 49 now, he turns to them, explains their response is going to be a response to Abraham, not him. And it's going to be either one of uh, kindness or cruelty and it'll be one of either truth or false. And then there is left one last part for Eliezer to finish his speech. And we see this part in two words that Eliezer has used twice in verse 49. What are the two words that Eliezer used twice in verse 49? Tell me, tell me, tell me. You say, tell me, tell me. It's decision time. I'm finished talking. I poured out my soul to you in a plea. I've done everything I can. I've said with precision the most powerful arguments in this plea to let Rebecca be taken as Isaac's wife. So now he turns to them, he locks eyes with them, and he says, now you have to make a decision. 
Tell me, tell me, he's asking for their decision. What a tragedy it would have been for Eliezer to have given this speech and not come back with the wife because he didn't ask for a decision. What would it have been like, you know, for Eliezer to return back to Abraham without the wife? And Abraham would have said, did you find my people? Yeah, I found them. Did you find the wife for Isaac? Yeah, I found her. Did you explain my greatness and everything that I was given to Isaac? Yeah, I told him. Did you ask for a decision? No, I didn't ask for the decision. <laughs> How'd you expect him to come and bring back? Why you don't ask for a decision? What's the matter with you? Well, I just figured that if I present everything that they get the idea, then they would just kind of come up with their decision. No, he would have said, you know, you have to ask for a decision. You can't expect someone to agree unless you ask for a decision. Now, on the other hand, think about what a tragedy it would have been for Eliezer to have not come back with a wife because he never made a speech and he never asked for a decision. Did you find my people? Yeah, I found them. Did you find the wife? Yeah, I found her. Did you explain my greatness and how everything was given to Isaac? No. Did you ask for a decision? No. How'd you expect to bring her back if you don't explain about my greatness and everything goes to Isaac and you never asked for a decision? Well, I just figured if I was friendly... You know, they'd ask me. I just kind of wait around. Maybe someone would come and ask a reason uh, for the hope that lies within me or something like that. You know, you know I figured if I did a lot of good works around him, a very friendly guy, that they would come. And Abraham said, Abraham was, you can't rely on your friendship. Your good works, what's the matter with you? You know? Now, on the other hand, think about another tragedy if it would have been for Eliezer to have not come back with the wife because he never gave the speech, but he asked for the decision. Did you find my people? Yeah, I found them. Did you find the wife? Yeah, I found her. Did you explain my greatness and everything about Isaac? No. Did you ask for a decision? Yeah. <laughs> How'd you expect her to come if you don't explain about my greatness and how I've given everything to my son and you only ask for a decision? Now we see in this lessons for evangelism because we must present the greatness of God and how everything has been given to God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and how he died on the cross for our sins. There's an invitation to come to him to be saved, to become part of the bride of Christ. We have to explain all that. We see clearly how we must present all that and then ask for the question, ask for the decision. We must present the gospel as who God is, what he's done, and then give the invitation. Then, if we don't do that, we have to see that after we've made the presentation of the gospel, angelic court reporters are sitting at their stenography machines and they're waiting to take down, they're all ears, they're waiting to take down the response of the sinner. What's your decision? I want to know. But more importantly, God wants to know and the angelic recorders are standing by, they're ready to record your response. And as Eliezer never, never would have just made a presentation of who Abraham was and Isaac was and how a wife was needed and never have asked for a decision, I always asked the sinner for his decision. Tell me, tell me. We've got to get to this tell me, tell me of Eliezer. Eliezer would, he never would have just asked for a decision without making a presentation of who Abraham was and Isaac was. So we must never press the lost for a decision until we've told them about who God the Father is, who God the Holy Spirit is, who God the Son is, and what they've done. And Eliezer never just would have went to encounter Abraham's family and friendship and never made a speech impressive for a decision. We must never rely on friendship evangelism with the hope that someone's going to ask us for the reason of the hope that lies within us. That's never a substitute for preaching the gospel and asking for a decision. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Eliezer's faithfulness, Lord, to Abraham. And we pray that, Lord, you would help us to be as faithful as he was to Abraham to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Christmas is here. Join Tom Cantor at the annual Christmas Under the Stars Free Family Festival Christian Event on Saturday, December 10th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Creation Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Games, rides, petting zoos, family photos, live Christmas music, and a live nativity, holiday food and drinks, a star viewing, and a Christmas light show, and so much more. This year, bring a toy to support Operation Save Christmas, a benefit to help support the hundreds of homeless children in San Diego out on the streets. So join Tom Cantor for this free family festival Christian event, Christmas Under the Stars, on Saturday, December 10th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Creation Earth History Museum in Santee. And bring the family and friends for rides, games, animals, music, a live nativity, and so much more. And don't forget to bring that gift for a homeless child. To learn more about Christmas Under the Stars and Operation Save Christmas, call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or go online to creationsd.org. creationsd.org.